This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Good morning. It's good to see you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Such a joy to gather together uh, at the end of one year and the beginning of another year. You know, the times change, the years change, but God's Word never changes. It's always the same. So please turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 through 8. I have one more topical message before we dive back into the book of Acts. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and an usher will bring you one. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. The, the title of this message is Growing Up and Going On Spiritual Growth for a New Year. It's our theme this morning spiritual growth. 2 Peter, chapter 1, toward the, toward the back of the Bible, verse 3. So listen in and hear God's word. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together before we start. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you that you speak to us. I pray you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, give us hearts to believe, and give us hands to serve you. I pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is New Year's, which means it's time for New Year's resolutions. Are any of you guys New Year's resolutions people? Is, uh, is anybody like anti-New Year's, kind of a Scrooge of the New Year's? You're kind of opposed to that, don't think anything's going to change? I, uh, I read an article about the most common New Year's resolutions for 2023, and it's pretty, pretty obvious. I wasn't surprised by any of the resolutions. It said, exercise more, eat healthier, lose weight, save money, spend more time with family and friends. Spend more time off social media. Maybe some of these are your New Year's resolutions, all good resolutions. Uh, the thing that surprised me was that the article said that 80% of people were confident in their ability to keep their resolutions. Now, so, so I was doing some math, and I was looking at how these are the same resolutions every single year, and realized that, no, th these people are delusional if they think they're going to keep all of these resolutions. That being said, the new year, it is a time, it's a time for hope. It's a time to, to leave something behind and to start something new. 
It's a time for new beginnings, new habits, even a new life. And as we turn the page on 2023 and enter into 2024, this passage of scripture, I believe, gives us a New Year's resolution. It gives us a goal, and in fact, a greater goal than a trimmer waistline or a more full bank account. This gives us a resolution to grow, to grow in godliness. This passage calls us to grow to be more like Christ, to be more like him, to think like him, to love like him, to serve like him, to act like him. And the good news for us this morning, as we open up God's word and think about this, is that this resolution is not delusional. If you are a believer, it is not delusional to think you can be more like Jesus in 2024 than you were in 2023. This text promises that you can. I just want to start off from, from the front end to say this message, the nature of it isn't a challenge. Okay, it's, it's not go and be more like Jesus. Go and do more for him. Do more, do more, do more. The heart of this message is a promise. You can be more like Jesus in 2024. I think that's our main point for this morning. I have the main point and the three points. The main point is you can be more like Christ in 2024. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, that the sins of the past, that you can be empowered to change? You can. The goal is to encourage you in that, to help you believe that, and to help you pursue that with all your might. So it's three points. I'm going to walk through this text of Scripture. Point one is the power for growth, verses three through four. Point two, the pursuit of growth. And then point three, the pattern for growth. So first, the power for growth. When uh, the reformer, John Calvin, talked about the, the effects of the gospel in our lives, he used a term called double grace. And, and what he meant by that was that grace is like a coin with two sides on it. it. It has two effects in our lives. When somebody becomes a Christian, ultimately two things happen. The first side of the coin is justification. So, so we're forgiven of our sins, declared righteous by the blood of Christ. The penalty of our sin is removed. This is amazing truth, glorious news that we never want to forget or move on from. The second side of the coin is sanctification. It's, th it's how through the sin-bearing death of Christ and his indwelling spirit, we are made new and changed from the inside out. If one side of the coin is what Christ does for us, outside of us, the other side is what Christ does within us, transforming our hearts and our lives. The, the theology of this is captured by the hymn, Rock of Ages. I don't know if you've heard that hymn. It's a wonderful hymn. It says, be of sin, talking about Christ, be for sin the double cure, save from wrath, it's justification, and make me pure, sanctification. Change me, from the inside out. These verses, verses three through four, are about the second grace of the gospel. They're about sanctification, what God has done within us to liberate us. So we're gonna look, we're gonna look at these verses together. Look at verse three. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
So the first thing that this text tells us is that spiritual growth, wanting to become more like Jesus, it, it doesn't begin with a, a program. It doesn't begin with a performance, a list of things you ought to do. It begins with power, power from God to be transformed. It begins with God's power. The way it works is a little bit like soil underneath the surface. Uh, I, I studied soil science in college and love talking about soil, so this just gave me an opportunity to do it. But the way this works is kind of like soil underneath the ground causing a plant to grow. How does a plant just grow and be fruitful? Well, did you know, did you know that in one teaspoon of healthy soil, there are one million microorganisms that work together in order to break down nutrients for a plant to grow? Underneath the surface, unseen to us, there is work going on. There is power that causes a plant to grow. That's what's going on in our text. There's something underneath the surface of our lives. There's a power that, that rises up within us that leads us to change, leads us to grow. It's God's power. Look, look at how this power comes to us. So this is verse Three, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So all things, anything we need, any power we need to grow comes from the Lord through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. This is talking about through the knowledge of Christ. So when, when we see Jesus Christ for who he is, what happens is it's like God's power gets connected to us through faith in him, and it transforms our hearts, transforms our lives. Uh, Paul put it, beholding the glory of Christ, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. So when we see him for who he is, we want to become like him. See how that works? It's, that's the soil underneath causing us to grow. And what does this power do? Verse 4 shows us what, the, what God's power working through Christ does in our lives. Look, look with me in verse 4. You want to follow along with me. By which he's granted to us his very precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So this transforming grace of God does two things in our lives. It, it leads us to escape from the corruption of the world, and it leads us to become partakers of the divine nature. We'll take the first one first. We escape the bondage of sin. One of the reasons Peter wrote this letter is because the church was experiencing false teaching. There were false teachers in the church who were basically saying, as long as you accept Jesus into your life, it doesn't really matter how you live. Have you ever heard somebody say something like that or, or sort of excuse sin by, well, Jesus, Jesus died for sin. doesn't really matter if we continue on sinning. Chapter 2 says that these teachers were adulterers. They were greedy. They were pleasure seekers. And they were saying, they were justifying it by saying, look, Christianity, it's a religion of grace. It's all about grace. It's grace, grace, grace. As long as you accept Jesus, everything is fine. And Peter's saying, no, you, it's not like those people are all about grace and these people are all about works. 
but rather it's they fundamentally misunderstand the nature of grace. What do I mean by that? What I mean is they miss what Calvin taught, that grace has two sides. Grace doesn't just forgive us of our sin, grace delivers us from our sin. And there's false teachers like this today. So if you encounter somebody who who tries to excuse sin by saying, well, didn't Jesus die for sin? Any doctrine that minimizes the seriousness of sin and the need for holiness in our lives, it's not biblical grace, it's half grace. It's watered down grace. It's cheap grace. Peter says that the power of God's grace doesn't just forgive us from the corruption of sin, but it delivers us from it. Oh, isn't that good news? Listen, if you are in bondage to your sin, if you feel like I can't stop sinning and I, and I want to, I want to change, my message isn't, oh, everything's, everything's okay, you know, don't, don't worry about it. The message is even better news. There's hope for things to be different. There's hope for change. There's hope for those sins to be rid of you and you to move forward. Why? Because in the gospel, there's power. There is power to change. Listen to J.C. Ryle. I love this quote. It says, we must be holy because this one grand end and purpose for which Christ came into the world. Listen, Jesus is a complete savior. He does not merely take away the guilt of a believer's sin. He breaks its power. Don't you love that? Jesus breaks the power of sin. Reminds me of the, the, the Charles Wesley hymn. How does it go? It goes, he breaks the power of canceled sin. New life the dead receive. Your canceled sin, can, its power can be broken. This text teaches us that Christ didn't die so that we could live in sin. He died so that we could leave it. He died so that we could leave it behind. And on the other side, it's just it's amazing. So we leave the corrupt nature of the world. But then it says, this is verse 4, that his grace makes us become partakers of the divine nature. That's a a strange phrase on the surface, partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? Well, it it doesn't mean that we become God or or our nature becomes fused in with God or something like that. What it means is we come, we become like God. We become like him in his character, in his attributes, his communicable attributes. We we become one with God in Christ, and our nature is changed. So the desire for sin is replaced with a desire for God and desire for holiness. So Peter's point in these verses is to show us that we have power to grow. If if you hear nothing else from from these two verses, there is power for you to grow. Take a minute to reflect on your own conversion in these terms. If you're a Christian, take just a second and think about that. You've been delivered from the corruption of the world. Whether you were living in the drug culture, sins, totally opposed to God uh, in an outward way, or you're just kind of self-righteous, thought you had all the answers to, to life, to everything. Take a second and think. The Lord delivered you from that. 
Oh, isn't that good news? The Lord delivered you. And not only did he deliver you, but he made you a partaker of the divine nature. How, how noble, how noble that the Lord has made us partakers with him. And we, uh, we, we had a plant in our, in our house, in the, kind of the corner of the house that doesn't get really any light. I don't know why we had a plant there in the first place, uh, but we have a plant there and, and it died. It was just beyond the hope of recovery. It was a snake plant, which snake plants are really hard to kill if you know anything about plants. So it was, it was really bad on our part, total neglect. And so this plant dies and I did what any, you know, any reasonable person would do. I took my boys out back into the ditch, grabbed the plant, and said, throw it down the ditch as far as you can, never to think about it again. So we threw the plant down the ditch. It was a lot of fun. My boys enjoyed it. It's not really far enough down the ditch, so now whenever we drive, you can still kind of see it. It's actually kind of sad. I think we need to go back and like push it further down. What these precious verses teach us is that God didn't do that with us. Oh, he didn't throw us down the ditch. When, when we were dead beyond hope, beyond recovery, what he did was he took us out. He like took that plant out of the pot and replanted us. He replanted us in the good soil of his grace and his power. And he does it so that we can grow, so that the power of sin can be broken in our lives. So just a question. Have you experienced the sin-breaking power in your life? Have you been replanted out of the life you were living into a new life? If so, give glory to God for his grace in your life. Give, give glory for his grace. And if not, oh, let me invite you. The Lord Jesus invites you to come to him by faith. He, he can be your double cure. He can save you from wrath, and he can make you pure. He can transform your life today. Oh, do you feel like that? Do you feel like, I can't change in 2024? It's not true. Jesus can transform your life. We can grow this year because Jesus is a complete Savior. So point, point two, the pursuit of growth. So point one is the power of growth. Point two is the pursuit of Growth In verse 5, there's, there's a shift in the mood of the text. Look, look with me. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Verses 3 through 4 are in the indicative mood, which means it declares what God has done for us. And then verse 5 shifts to the imperative mood, which means now go and do this. You see that? So it starts with, this is all God, all God's work in our lives. Now respond to it and grow. This is often the pattern in scripture. Th think about the Exodus. God redeems Israel out of Egypt, not because of their works, but because of grace, and then gives the Ten Commandments as a response. You see that? This is in the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians. The first half is doctrine. The second half is application. This is often how God works. So the question here is, what must we do in light of what God has done. We must make every effort. We must strive. We must pursue growth. You know, I think some people kind of view the Christian life like getting on an escalator. 
I don't know. Have you, have you, been, have you ever been in the mall and rode the escalator? You kind of you start at the bottom and you just step on and just doop, 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 doop. you just go right up to the top. No effort, no striving. It's easy. You know, maybe in the metaphor, the illustration is we kind of see the Christian life as, okay, you're on earth, one day you'll be in heaven, and then you just kind of scoot on along. It doesn't really take much effort to grow. Our passage of scripture teaches us something different. It says that if, if we want to be more like Jesus, if we want to grow in 2024, that we must put forth effort. It says there's a race to be run. There's a war to be fought. There's a city to be built. All this requires effort. There's opposition to us growing as Christians. The world, our own sin, the devil, they push against us. I mean, if anything, maybe the image of the Christian life is more like trying to go up a down escalator. I don't know. Have you ever tried that? Yeah, some people, I know, I know you have. It's okay. I've tried it too. But trying to go up a down escalator where everything is just kind of pushing against us. And you have to make an effort to go up the down escalator. It takes effort. We must make every effort. Charles Spurgeon is a preacher in England. He, he once preached a sermon called The Great Sin of Doing Nothing. And I just, just reading the title kind of convicted me, honestly, as I was reading that, The Great Sin of Doing Nothing. The title alone is instructive. And his point is that we can't do nothing and expect to grow. So if, if you have a garden and you're growing a garden and you do nothing, what's, what's going to happen? Well, the weeds are going to come. The bugs are going to come. It's going to be destroyed. If, if you're trying to grow a marriage and a family and you do nothing, it's not going to go well. We, we know this, right? Um, a husband who is defense is, I didn't do anything wrong. I, I didn't do anything wrong. Isn't, isn't off the hook just because they don't do anything wrong. Marriage requires pursuit. It requires attention. It requires effort to build it up in love and intimacy. And I think Peter's point when he says make every effort to grow is that our spiritual lives are the same way. It's not the power for growth, but it's the pursuit of growth. And some people get very, very uncomfortable when we start to use language like this. Effort for growing, trying, striving. I think some people, when we talk about this, think that that's legalism. That that's somehow works righteousness. That's not grace. But there's a very important principle here. Grace Grace isn't opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Okay, do you get that? Grace, grace, it's not opposed to striving hard after God and godliness. Grace is opposed to trying to earn God's favor by that striving. Do you understand that? So it's, it's not like the message isn't make every effort so that God will be happy with you. Oh, don't, don't walk away from here getting that message. That's not the message of this text. The message is, in Christ, you are loved more than you could ever imagine. You don't need to earn God's acceptance. But because you have that acceptance and that love, make every effort to please the one who loves you and gave himself for you. Oh, don't you want to do that? Don't you want to please the Lord? This text says that we can, and it requires effort. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul 
describes the Christian life as an athlete training for success. So thankful that there's sports illustrations in the Bible. It makes me happy. Okay, we have sports illustration right here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here's what it says. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Competitive athletes, they think about what they eat, how they train, what they do in the off-season. They're disciplined. I recently read uh, that LeBron James, I don't know what your opinion is on LeBron James, but he spends $1.5 million a year just on his body. Just, he, he, he's hired chefs, he's hired masseuses, he's hired trainers, just so he can be in peak physical fitness to compete. Now, we may not hire chefs and masseuses like LeBron, we probably shouldn't, but do we labor like Paul? That's the question. Do, do we exercise self-control, discipline? Are we making an effort? Are, are, we, are we going up the down escalator or are we just floating down the stream of compromise? Kind of just going with the flow, whatever, it's fine. Peter tells us to make every effort, make a change, grow, pursue it. And the good news for us, so no matter how much we've failed, so even as you're hearing that and you're just burdened by the weight of conviction, just realize that no matter how, how much we've failed, we can be more like Jesus in 2024. Why? Because the power of change is still with us. We can grow. We can pursue growth and be more like Jesus. So our last point is the pattern for growth. This is verses 6 and 7. This is all application, basically. This is what does it look like to be more like Jesus in 2024. If that's our goal, if that's your desire, is to be more like Christ, and you hear make every effort, and you're, yes, okay, I want to grow in 2024. How do I pursue it? Here's, here's the answer right here. It's these verses. I want to read this to us. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, Steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would like to spend time in each of these virtues, but I think I'll just walk through them quickly and then spend a little bit more time thinking about this uh, idea of growing in knowledge. Uh, it's a new year. As Mike was sharing, a Bible reading plan, thinking about growing in our knowledge of the Lord. So one, grow in virtue. That means moral excellence. It, it, it means kind of conforming our life to Christ. Growing in self-control. Uh, we live in a world that says, express yourself, do yourself, be yourself. And then scripture says, control yourself. Oh, your passion's under control. Grow in steadfastness. That means not giving up when things get tough. Sometimes the greatest growth in our life happens when we experience the greatest hardship and we decide not to take up our ball and go home. 
And we decide, Lord, I'm staying here with you. Growing godliness, living before God's face, growing in brotherly affection, love within the church, growing in love. Finally, growing in knowledge. These are just a couple of thoughts for growing in knowledge this year. Make reading the Bible a part of your everyday routine in 2024. Whether it's 10 minutes or an hour, seek to make daily Bible reading a part of your life. Prioritize reading books of sound doctrine, going deeper into theology. It leads to devotion in Christ, deeper devotion. And finally, participate in this Cornerstone U class, Christian Foundations. It's designed to help us, to help us grow in our knowledge of the Lord. And as we do, we will grow in our devotion to him. What better way to begin 2024 than, than by starting it with considering how we can grow in the knowledge of God? I want to conclude just by reminding us of this main point and then giving a word or two of encouragement. Leave with encouragement for how to grow in 2024. Remember the main point. You can be more like Jesus in 2024. No matter what 2023 was like, no matter how you failed, no matter how you feel like, I'm just unable to grow, you can grow in 2024. And just a couple of thoughts of encouragement. Encouragement one, spiritual growth is about progress, not perfection. It's about progress, not perfection. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Increasing is the key word. Don't, don't look at where you are now. Look at where you've been and look at where you're going. It's a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint. In fact, sometimes it's kind of like a turkey trot. I don't know if you watch people do a turkey trot. You have some people running really hard, some people running really slow, and some people are like, are you really running? It's kind of like a fast walk. I don't know. And no, no shame if you're the turkey trot person doing the slow, doing the slow walk. The most important thing is progress. How are you moving? Even if you're going slow, are you, are you going? Encouragement two, Spiritual growth looks different person to person, season to season. No two spiritual growth charts are the same. Every, every individual in this room, God has a specific plan laid out for you and your sanctification and your growth. So don't fight the temptation to look at, look at other people and say, oh, I wish I was growing like them. I wish I, I wish I knew as much as them and loved like them. The Lord is growing you in your own way at his pace. And different seasons of life present different opportunities to grow. You know, if you're, if you're a college student, you might have more time to read the Bible than if you're a new mom grappling with this new reality in your life. So let me encourage you. Think about the season you're in making progress. And lastly, number three, encouragement number three, Spiritual growth is often slow, but it is sure. It is sure. As Zach read from the scripture reading today, the Lord will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, believe that. Would you believe that? That that where you're at now, yes, you need to make progress, you need to grow, but the Lord's going to bring it to completion. We'll end with this quote from John Newton. John Newton is an excellent author, a Puritan on spiritual growth. He says this, 
The growth of, of a believer is not like a mushroom, but like an oak, which increases slowly but surely. Many suns, showers, and frosts pass upon it before it comes to perfection. And in the winter, when it seems dead, it is gathering strength at the root. Oh, that's, that's suffering, hardship, season of winter. What's God doing? He's gathering strength at the roots of your life. Be humble, watchful, and diligent in the means, and endeavor through it all to fix your eye upon Jesus, and all shall be well. Amen. So by the grace of Christ and for the glory of Christ, let's seek and strive to become more like Christ this year. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great calling in our lives, and we thank you for your grace that empowers us to grow. So I pray that you would work that in our hearts, Lord. You would fill us with the Holy Spirit. Give us a desire to please you and to grow and be more like Christ. And I pray we would follow John Newton's counsel and that we would keep our eye on Jesus Christ and know that if we do, all will be well. Amen. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.